You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. And now we get to open the Word together. Isn't it beautiful and amazing? You need your your Bible. You need something to write on, something to write with, so that you can uh, mark this, um, this, uh, this, um, mark this letter up. Sorry. (laughs) First Peter, that's where we're going to be. And I've preached on First Peter many times. I did a whole series on First Peter. And if you've been here for a while, you're going to open to First Peter if you use the same Bible and find notes all up inside it. But you can ignore those because that's not what I'm doing today. Um, because it's, this is living word. The Bible is the one book of all the books in the world. The Bible is the one book that has the ability to have a conversation with you today right where you are. You can open the same story that you've read a, a hundred times and today that story can speak to you in a whole new way because this this book has the opportunity to have a conversation with you that's why they call it living word that's so powerful isn't it that's why they call it living word and the last two weeks have proved that to me all over again because we've been in these little letters titus and philemon um, and i've been personally freshly moved by those the study of those two letters you you know those two letters are written to individuals so you literally are reading someone's mail when you read those stories if you didn't hear them i want you to go to the website and find them both of them are a real world application of the good news because paul is is speaking to sons in the faith and and in that message to titus we learned to do the gospel like this do the gospel like this So Paul speaks to Titus and he reminds him that the gospel is good news and Christians do good because God is good. So Paul could advise Titus to do the gospel and then find other leaders who can also do the gospel um, and, and, and do the good news, right? And then last week we read Paul's letter to Philemon and we found this gentle wisdom of a father to a, to, uh, in the faith to a son in the faith to let go of pride and to assume that God actually can work in another person's life to bring true transformation. The message was to do grace like this. And so the word from Paul to Philemon was to do grace rather than punishing a runaway slave, this runaway slave in Philemon's life, Paul could say to Philemon, listen, you, you can have this man back and have him back in a whole and holy way if you are willing to do the gospel, to do koinonia, to do grace like this. So today we, we shift from those two letters written to individuals to letters that were written to a wider audience. And we're going to start with Peter's letters. There's two of them. Today we'll be in First Peter. Um, They're written to Christians, maybe Jewish, maybe Gentile, scattered around Asia, people whose, whose faith in Jesus made them feel like foreigners in the land they were living in. Anybody here feel that these days? I think more and more we're going to feel that, especially if we, really, uh, if we really take hold of scriptural holiness. We're going to feel um, that dissonance between us and culture more and more. So they were seen in their own 
culture, they were seen as as uh, pagans because they didn't worship lots of gods and there's people who don't do it the way the pagans do it and strangers who faced pressure and downright persecution to them Peter's word was this do suffering like this Peter's word to them was do suffering like this what he wanted them to do is what he wanted them to learn is how to suffer well because life is hard can I get an amen and people, people suffer. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, you're going to suffer. And if we will suffer in this life, then how do we do it so that the most hope is exposed? Peter wants people who have to suffer to suffer well so that their suffering gives the most opportunity for the kingdom of God to be exposed in our lives. So if you look at chapter 1, verse 3, we're going to go all the way through First Peter. We're just going to listen to Paul's word. He's, he's going to tell us to suffer expectantly, suffer patiently, uh, suffer for doing good <laughs> as opposed to suffering for doing stupid stuff. Um, I have a friend who wrote, don't do dumb crap. That's the way Paul's, I mean, Peter basically wants you to do, suffer for doing good, not for doing dumb stuff. And, 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 and suffer humbly. Those are, that's, he's, he's teaching us how to suffer well. And he begins with this, first uh, Peter chapter 1 verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. I want you to underline that and I want you to start underlining as I read through this Every place where you hear kind of future tense hope. So he says, into, kept in heaven for you, and through faith is shielded by God's power. Nope, let me start back. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Yeah, verse 5. And through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Underline all of that. It's expecting hope. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to, had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not yet seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith. Underline that, the salvation of your souls. Can you hear the hope scattered all through this passage? When I look through chapter 1 of this letter, I can hear it. We have an inheritance kept in heaven. Your faith results in honor and glory when Jesus is revealed. When you accept joy in your current situation, you're receiving the end result of your faith. There are glories to follow. He even says, angels long to see these things. Peter has a clear word for his readers. To suffer well is to suffer expectantly. He wants to, his audience to hear that while they're suffering, Jesus is redeeming their story, which is to say that while we are suffering, Jesus is redeeming our stories. While we are suffering, God is redeeming our stories. You should write that down. Forever ago, I read a New York Times article about um, a psychology experiment developed back in the 60s. The point of it was to prove our 
mental tendency called confirmation bias. So here's the exercise. I want you to do it with me, okay? I want you to write down these three numbers, 2, 4, and 8. 2, 4, and 8. Those three numbers follow a simple mathematical rule or a pattern. So don't want you to call it out right now, but what's the pattern there? Yeah, but don't call it out. <laughs> and now I want you to write three other numbers that kind of go, that, that, carry, that use the same rule or carry the same pattern. Write three other numbers. And then I want you to write three other numbers that also carry that same pattern. And now, now I want you to tell me what pattern these numbers all fit. Looking at your three sets, what, are they all, what pattern do they all fit? You can say it now. Doubling. <laughs> yeah. How many would agree, agree that the rule that each number is that each number doubles the one before it? How many would agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. Which could be the rule. But actually the rule for this one is that each number is higher than the one before. So 1, 2, 3 works. And 10, 30, 82 works. So this, this, um, this psychologist, he shows them these three numbers. He lets them make a mental assumption. He lets them create uh, some other sets that confirm or, or begin to solidify that assumption. And the whole point of the experiment is to expose the tendency we have to pay attention to information that confirms what we already believe. While we ignore information that challenges our beliefs. And you want to believe that you don't do this, my social media following friends who read every article that confirms what you believe about politics or masks or vaccine while ignoring every article that casts doubt. You want to believe you're not the person who does that, right? You want to believe, and so do I, that you're able to filter information objectively and see the world exactly as it is. But the fact is, we all do it. We all do it. We all tend to confirm our suspicions by gathering information that fits what we already believe. Most of 2020 was a terrible exercise in confirmation bias. And not just publicly, but personally. So three bad things happen to us and we decide God is against us. We get a couple of bad breaks and we begin to build an argument for God's abandonment or at least that the world is against us or that we're not good enough or that God is punishing us or that God has no power in our lives or that we are somehow wrong as people and that God has given up on us or that uh, it's all a spiritual battle and Satan has won this one or you fill in the blank. <laughs> Whatever the lie is that you're telling yourself right now about whatever situation is hard. And this is exactly the dynamic that Peter wants the, to, to discuss with us as he opens up this conversation about suffering as he, as, he, as he wants us to learn how to suffer well. He teaches us suffering well means beginning, listen to me, beginning not with the thing that's right in front of me, but beginning with the end game. 
Write that down. Suffering well means beginning with the end game, which is not the same as projecting onto your hard moment every bad thing that could happen to it or to you, but hasn't yet. You hear me? <laughs> it doesn't mean looking out in the future, deciding it's already going to be awful and then living into that self-fulfilling prof- uh, prophecy. No, Peter wants us to take this further out, to put our suffering in the context of the inbreaking kingdom. Listen, if you want a more accurate read on what God is doing in your life right now, especially if you've got something hard in your life, then begin with the kingdom of God and work your way back from there. Begin with everything you know about God, our Father, Jesus Christ, His Son, the Holy Spirit. Begin there and work your way back. Peter talks in verse 9 about the end result of your faith, the salvation of your soul, which ought to right-size everything else. Because if I want to more accurately interpret my present situation, I need to orient myself around this truth that I am already saved. (laughs) Right? (laughs) And if that big question has been answered, if I am already seated securely with Jesus in the heavenlies, read Paul on that one, then, then, then I don't have to force anything. I can let the questions be questions while I go looking for where God is already at work. Peter tells us, set our hope, verse 13, on the grace to be brought to us when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Set your sights there. Now, I mean, I've suffered. I have suffered. I would say, by this world's standards, I've had some pretty good times of suffering. Both my parents died when they were 65 years old, just three years apart. So I lost both parents pretty, when they were pretty young. That, for some of you, doesn't feel, feel young, but for me, that's getting younger every day. Um, I've also lost several dear friends and had a season when people died pretty quickly in succession. I would say that was... Suffering. I've had some things happen in my uh, childhood that were suffering, definitely suffering, that I didn't even have words to put to when, I, when they happened to me. But going without food suffering, I've never had that. Living in a war zone suffering, I've never had that either. I haven't suffered with a life-threatening illness or with the kind of depression or mental illness that leaves a person without hope and ready to die. That's a different kind of suffering, and and some of us in this room know that kind of suffering. I think, here's my point, one of the dangers when we talk about suffering is to compare our hard with everybody else's hard and say, well, I'm not living in a war zone, so I just need to buck up. That's never uh, Peter's advice. He's not telling you, buck up. He's not telling you, pick yourself up by your own bootstraps and get over it. That's not Peter's word when he's teaching us how to suffer well. His point is that whatever you're going through right now, just you, never mind everybody else in your world, whatever you are going through right now, if you can get your head above the cloud line and ask yourself, what could God possibly be doing right now that I'm not seeing because I'm so stuck either on my pain or my prejudice? And if I let go of that, 
If I let go of my own perspective just for a moment, what could I see that God might be doing that I cannot see while I'm stuck in my own stuff, while I'm navel-gazing, while I'm stuck in my own worldview? Is it possible God is doing something out there that I will only see if I let go of what I already know? That's what it means to suffer expectantly. It's believing that while we are suffering, God is redeeming our stories. Not causing every bad thing, but redeeming everything. I want you to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 11. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. I want you to live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And then skip down to verse 18 and he starts this whole section where he talks to slaves and then husbands and wives. And he says this, this is kind of, this is kind of the radical edge of, of it. He, he uses slaves in this pretty radical way. He says, slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. Not only those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable for if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, it's commendable before God. He's not, he's not justifying the behavior of the guy who beat you. He's just saying, God sees to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. The wisdom here is to suffer patiently and to stay in it, to, to persevere, to endure. Peter wants us to see that no matter what the circumstances, we can expose Jesus. Because even if I'm in real slavery, and remember that slavery in the first century was indentured slavery, not the kind of slavery that we've experienced in our American history. Even if I'm in real slavery, nobody can take my freedom from me. And even if I'm in a marriage that is unequally yoked, nobody can take away my choices. And even if I'm in an unfriendly territory where the folks around me are hostile to my faith, nobody can take my faith from me. And even if my circumstances make it difficult to voice that faith, my life still speaks, and nobody can take that away. James 1, 2 says, Count it all joy, brothers and sisters. When you face trials of many kinds, he's not, notice he says not if you face trials, but when you face trials. And Paul says, in my weaknesses, hardships, persecutions, difficulties, in my weakness, God is strong. John Wimber is the founder, was the founder of the Vineyard Movement, which was, is, is a, still a huge network of churches. Um, strong emphasis on the gifts of the Spirit. So Wimber, in his teaching, he focused a lot on God's ability to heal and over the years, he prayed with, I don't know, probably pro at least thousands, if not millions of people, asking for God's healing over their lives. He didn't expect everybody to be healed, but he believed it was our responsibility as Christians to pray for healing, and I agree with that completely. 
Wimber experienced healing in his own life. In 1993, God healed him of an inoperable form of rare cancer, cancer, and then a few years later, he recovered from a stroke, and then he recovered from a heart attack. He died suddenly of a massive brain hemorrhage at the age of 63, way too young. Even though Wimber believed in God's power to heal, he understood that even the best, most faithful Christians suffer. And this is the side of charismatic teaching we don't often hear, but this is the incredibly important side. So he wrote this book called Living with Uncertainty, and, and here's what he said. He said, some Christians believe we should never struggle without fear, anxiety, disillusionment, depression, sorrow, or agony. And when Christians do, it's because they're not exercising the quality of faith they ought to. And then Wimber says, if those ideas are true, then I'm not a good Christian. Not only have I suffered physically with health problems, but I also spent a great deal of time struggling with depression during my battle with cancer. But I also found that the view from the valley gave me a focus on Christ I wouldn't have gained any other way. Stars shine brighter in the desert. He also wrote this. While I was being treated for cancer, someone wrote me a letter asking, do you still believe in healing now that you've got cancer? And I wrote back, yes, I do. And the truth is, I do. I also believe in pain. Both are found in the word of God. And while I don't know anyone who would deliberately sign up to suffer, God uses these experiences to accomplish his purposes in and through us. Not that he causes it, but he will use it. God is a saver. He never wastes a drop. And he's not as afraid of your suffering as you are. Let me say that again. God is not as afraid of your suffering as you are. Because God knows that suffering can bring sanctification so much faster than, uh, than prosperity can. <laughs> so whatever you're dealing with right now, if it's not something you can get out of, or if God hasn't released you, then you stay in it. Stay in it believing God is a saver. He won't waste it. He even took the suffering of his own son and made good out of it. Think about that. You know, it wasn't the great teaching of Jesus or the miracles that he brought, that Jesus brought with him that last night to the table when he told his friends to remember him. He said, this is my body broken for you remember that this is my blood poured out for you remember that that's what he brought to the table remember the power of god to redeem your hard moments when you remember that the power of god redeemed all your hard when he redeemed you on the cross he will make something good out of anything and trust so we just read a a little bit ago in our, uh, in our prayer time, trust that there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. Look at chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, he says, all of you, be like-minded. Be sympathetic. Love one another. Be compassionate and humble. Don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. And then verse 13, chapter 3, verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? 
It's kind of a funny thing, actually. But even if you should suffer for doing what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason, uh, the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It's better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. <laughs> so the point is, suffer for doing good. Because nobody gets points in the kingdom of God for self-inflicted pain. Peter makes this point all the way through chapter 3, chapter 4. Look at verse four, chapter 4, verse 15. If you suffer, it should, be, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. I love that. You do not get points for meddling. <laughs> However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear the name. Friends, we all suffer from sin. We all suffer from sin. And there's also the suffering of not being open to sin anymore. Anybody who has a history of addiction knows this. We deal with cravings in our sobriety. We know what that's like. Anybody who practices celibacy and singleness gets the suffering that comes from not sinning. Anyone who has chosen to live a holy life by submitting unholy desires to Jesus, you get this, what it means to be done with sin but still suffer for it. And that's where community comes in. What it means to suffer for doing good, it means doing the good work of leaning in and letting accountability hold us in the lane. Are you hearing me, my Free Tuesdays friends? That's why we say you can't recover in isolation. So let me ask you, who in your life knows about your struggle with, with the memory of sin or the pull of sin? Do you have an isolating habit in your life that needs accountability? Who knows about it? Who is healthy enough to call you out? Accountability helps us to suffer well so that in our suffering we are still aiming for the kingdom of God. And then Peter says this, chapter 5, verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, so that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He's not a big cosmic hammer waiting for you to mess up so he can slam you. God cares. So suffer with humility. I think that's the hardest part because when we feel like victims, when we feel like, you know, we feel bad, it's hard to take the high road. And it's very easy to make it all about us. I get that. I got to tell you, I have prayed more for the gift of humility in the last year than I have in my entire life because I have really struggled with what it means to take the high road when the room is empty, to forgive and walk in forgiveness when folks struggle and, and, and make their own break, you know, to care for people I don't particularly want to care for. Not you. Not you. 
but people we both know. Not in my flesh I don't want to care for them. But to care for them, Peter says, I, I have to do it not because I know I have to, but because I'm willing. He won't even let me get by with just doing the right thing while I grit my teeth. Not because I have to, but because I'm willing. Do suffering like this, he says. Do suffering like this. What Peter's actually calling us to is a life of spiritual and emotional integrity. And he's telling us we won't usually figure it out. We, we won't usually figure out we're there when everything is going well. Usually we find out whether we're there or not when it all falls apart. That's when we find out. We'll know we're there with, when in the middle of the hard we suffer well. Paul said this, we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so Paul wraps everything up and gives us these two gifts to take with us, hope and Holy Spirit. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.